Welcome, everyone. My name is Scott Shepard with the City's First Podcast. I'm your host, and we're really excited to uh, unveil the seventh edition now of the City's First Podcast. Uh, This is actually season two, episode seven. And with that, we're very excited to um, uh, have with us as our guest today, Augustin Freidel. And Augustin is a uh, shared mobility expert who's had uh, years of experience uh, here in Europe, as well as many other markets, in terms of really keeping an eye on the landscape and understanding uh, what's next on the horizon. So I'm just going to give everyone a brief uh, bio uh, on Augustin, and then he'll introduce himself, and then we'll get started. So uh, Augustin Fredel is a mobility transformation expert and advisor and was previously responsible for the intermodality strategy at Volkswagen. Intermodality services at Volkswagen are defined as customer-centric offerings in the three segments of vehicle on demand, mobility on demand, and logistics. Before joining Volkswagen, Augustin was responsible for building and developing several MOD programs and logistics services in European cities. He is the founder of the online mobility magazine Get Mobility, which was required, which was acquired by Deutsche Bahn in 2018. He has a diploma in engineering in mechanical engineering from the Technical University of Munich, and also spent some time at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So welcome, Augustin. Glad to have you here. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for the brief introduction there. Um, there's not much to add. Um, so I want to add that, uh, like full disclosure, that I work for MHP. It's a consulting firm um, in the Porsche Group. Uh, we are focusing there on like mobility transformation with cities and automotives. Um, but uh, I don't represent them here today on the show. So it's I just share my personal views, my personal thoughts, and they are not uh, connected or linked to, to what I do there at MHP. Um, just this as a clarification. And uh, yeah, now I'm looking forward to the discussion with you uh, today, Scott. And um, yeah, I hope we create some value for your listeners uh, all around the globe. Thanks, Augustin. Yeah, and this fits well with the mission of the City's First podcast is really providing a platform for listeners in terms of the personal perspective of our speakers and how they can kind of uh, do a bit more discovery on their own. So with that, we'll just uh, kind of kick this off and get started. And for those who are familiar with our format, we'll go through a series of about four questions and then we'll see with a look ahead as well as where we can find you and some other information. So the first question I'd like to pose to you, Augustine, is just around kind of uh, trends and moving forward. So with a focus, at least here on this side of the pond here in Europe, and the question to you is, how are European cities accommodating for mobility transformation this year in 2023? Very broad question. Oh, so there are multiple trends and direction, I would say. So if we look at uh, like customer facing booking platforms um, i think like cities still believe that there's value in like mass platforms and and mass approaches uh, let's see if we find like a sustainable business model there and uh, cases um, in this year i'm a bit skeptic but at least that's like the, the direction the cities are heading um, if it comes then to like certain mobility services and shared services 
I think cities will take more control um, and either like uh, do it more like in-house so that they uh, see different verticals where they see, okay, we have like a good public transit operator. They have experience in operating fleets and, and managing fleets and managing customer relationships. So let's do then also some more shared services in-house as our own operations. Or if they don't go this direction and uh, want external or like independent operators run those services, I see that a trend that they um, put more control measures on it. So to define, okay, where the vehicles are parked, how they are allocated through the cities or like the urban areas um, and how that like the accessibility of then certain groups could be, could be increased. Um, so this is definitely a trend or uh, multiple trends that I see there on the urban mobility uh, side related to shared services. Um, if we look then at the, the broader picture um, and then also let's say more into like vehicle brands and then offers there. Um, so um, that was something that was started last year that we see new automotive brands in like German or European cities, uh, most of them out of China. So I think this is a trend that will continue uh, those uh, new brands and new entrants challengers. They also tend to partner with mobility services. So like rental car companies uh, like Sixth uh, or um, also like captives like lease plan. Uh, so I think this is this is a trend that we that we will see. Um, and they are also um, in this area um, new, let's say, um, business models and uh, consumer relationships going away from like pure car ownership more to like car subscriptions and then maybe also link the car subscriptions to multiple users and kind of a peer-to-peer -peer approach. Um, so this is then like a trend uh, that we will see all across Europe um, that's going more than towards like a new like entrance in the in the car space and the EV brand space then. So a couple things. Um, on the subscription side, which is interesting because we're seeing some new um, activity. Uh, well, you mentioned the, the car rentals, but all this on the subscription side, new business models. Um, but also on the uh, car data side is interesting because uh, I noticed that we've seen some activity recently here in Europe and even in Israel on several startups that uh, are at least uh, pivoting away from creating, uh, let's say, a vehicle car data um, platforms or marketplaces to mm -hmm. um, understanding the reality of the supply chain and the limitations of traditional OEMs and automakers being a bit more territorial. So there's, uh, you could mm -hmm. probably speak to that too, but I, I don't want to say that's necessarily a trend, but it's a signal to the marketplace having a bit of a course correction or a, a bit of a realization of, you know, uh, where we're at right now um, in terms of, and this kind of almost relates to this whole um, notion of the original, let's say, value proposition of mass, be, make, mm -hmm. that, like you build you build it and they will come or you build this marketplace. And then, you know, uh, let's say stakeholders would naturally kind of populate that ecosystem. And obviously we kind of know how that's translated over the last four or five years. So there's some kind of commonalities. And I think that with this, let's say, rethinking in terms of while there are new opportunities that are starting to spring forth, I would say this whole, let's say, resetting of expectations on the part of the private sector actors and even venture capitalists and other uh, participants in this ecosystem is uh, certainly uh, having a bit of a sobering effect, I would say. Yes. Um, that's just at least some of my perspective from what yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look in the in the past and uh, reflect the last couple of years, I mean, 
there was basically no cost to raising capital and this uh, completely changed now uh, completely different like circumstances uh, if you want to finance and, and fund your new mobility startup um, and yes agree I mean they are basically um, rebalancing or uh, putting a, a new level on like their expectations and uh, you mentioned the data space I think they also um, it was seen as one of the next big uh, areas in, in mobility and big uh, profit and, and revenue pools so it's mm -hmm. still very small today and yeah. um, like some of the startups that maybe also went public uh, we respect deals in the car data space you see mm -hmm. them they're like basically coming under the wheels um, finding new uh, new exit uh, scenarios now because it didn't play out as as expected and and there you see it again also in like shared mobility and mass you mentioned so they started uh, with like high ambitions build like the narrative and and now we see it uh, becoming closer to reality and um, yeah they need to adjust some of them then will survive and uh, will basically adjust their their like uh, employee base or like ambition to like a lower level um, and some of them they will either disappear or then also merge with uh, um, mm -hmm. with some other players um, that see some potential in getting the talents or maybe some parts of the technology. It's a consistent trend. It's interesting because, yeah, you could uh, look at this across the value chain. We could even throw in uh, microtransit or DRT into the mix, too, and how that's mm. kind of consolidating and going through a bit of a transformation or a, um, let's say, a, uh, a day of reckoning as well, too. Yeah. While many different DRT schemes that uh, I don't want to say they're profitable, but they are succeeding. They're still raising venture capital. Others are starting to fold or they're being acquired, et cetera. And mm. it, it's a very consistent trend as we see from, let's say, the peak hype of 2016, 2017. That's what I like to call yes. the, the peak hype in mobility in smart cities to kind of where we're at today in 2023. And uh, it, it's not necessarily a zero-sum game where um, the media tends to kind of paint a picture where it was this huge rush for cash and now it completely disappears or exits the, the stage. But again, mm. it's a bit more of this uh, gray area effect. It's a bit more of this kind of middle path, uh, which I think might be less interesting for, um, uh, like I said, the media and others who are really trying to report on these very kind of, let's say, even almost clickbait type stories. But mm. the reality is maybe not as boring, but it's a bit mo more nuanced than what we're hearing, at least mm. in a lot of these circles. So that's just another. Yeah, well, yeah. but full, fully agree. Yeah. Okay. So the next question, I know we ate up on some time in that first one, but um, let's let's uh, kind of pose this uh, thought to you, which is, what are some of the latest trends in urban logistics and deliveries? And this could be in mm -hmm. any market, Europe, North America, Asia, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, so there again, we see like kind of a, a rebalancing of, of the ambitions. Yeah. I mean, if you look in the, uh, or reflect the last couple of years, that we had the same basically as in, in mobility, um, like high flying visions, uh, we will rule the world and uh, like last my delivery or like quick commerce, food delivery, etc. Um, and now with uh, like the changed uh, environments related to financing, uh, also to um, like increasing consumer 
fuel prices, etc., they are also um, getting in, into troubles. And like it seems, and or like they realize that building those those companies is is harder than than they thought. So this is also like a resetting basically of uh, of the landscape there. And if you look then on like more operational trends um, that I see, then uh, logistics and and delivery is like also the shift to electric vehicles and the shift to smaller electric vehicles. So kind of dismantling of the um, Mercedes-Benz printer van or like delivery van in, in the cities to like cargo bikes um, and then smaller versions of, of cargo bikes linked then to like a hub infrastructure um, to then also be able to um, deliver all the packages um, and so on. So this is definitely a trend I, I see there. If it comes to vehicle ownership and fleet ownership, um, there are then also new models that, that I see in the mobility and, and last mile delivery space so that we have then like companies that are basically financing the fleet and then um, provide like high quality and professional vehicles to like the gig workers or delivery riders. Um, so this is also definitely a trend, uh, trend I see. Um, and then I mean, also that uh, um, if you talk maybe about my uh, policies and, and cities, so there is also the trend that they push towards um, yeah, reducing the, the van traffic or car traffic, um, pushing, uh, uh, putting pressure on the delivery companies that they uh, reduce then also uh, or like use smaller vehicles um, to uh, do like the, the job um, and also that they have a more efficient system to avoid that uh, like uh, three vans basically of the same company are going to like the same address uh, during the day. Uh, so this is this is also something they uh, I see there on the market and the direction that uh, they will pick up in 2023 and also beyond that. You're seeing this uh, locally where you're at in Berlin, I'm sure, and across German cities. I mean, I'm seeing it in many other areas, too. Um, and th this kind of relates to another uh, question or thought I had is what are some of the, let's say, opportunities, ancillary revenues that are coming from this shift in terms of um, this uh, qu broader question of, quote unquote, who owns the curb? Mm. And um you know, a lot of the different uh, third-party data aggregators and platforms that are looking to monetize this mm -hmm. specifications that are coming out right now from, let's say, the Open Mobility Foundation, uh, Curb CDS, Curb Data Specification, which is a spinoff yes. of MDS. So I guess maybe a follow-up question to you is in terms of this kind of new, let's say, uh, discovery or opportunity for helping cities better regulate or manage the public space and public realm, do you see a sustainable path forward for, let's say, these third-party aggregators? I'm not going to name any names, but these companies that are looking to try and, I guess, shall we say, cash in on this, you know, pricing of the curb and codifying it and uh, like serving it back in either a statistical or geographic format for uh, decision makers? What mm -hmm. are your yeah, I think the decision makers and, and cities need to be part of the equation. Um, I don't see a scenario where like the cities leave then basically the business potential to like startups or um, data mm -hmm. uh, data companies out there. So I think they if they go in this direction to basically monetize and 
uh, implement uh, digital tools to to manage the curb like cities and uh, decision makers definitely do, definitely need to be part of uh, of the game and the equation and um, there my impression is that we are early on um, so they understand that there is the opportunity um, to maybe make some money but also to make it more efficient and uh, more controlled um, but yeah if, if you talk about deployments I think they more think about it and talk about it, um, but I haven't really seen it on like uh, uh, like large scale uh, deployment. So I think yeah. it's it's more like a hype. Uh, let's yeah, see how then like the, the companies <laughs> yeah. and the, the cities uh, work together and, uh -huh. and figured it out. And uh, we all know, okay, um, that uh, maybe cities or municipalities are not the fastest one if it comes to decision making. Uh -huh. um, so I would say it's uh, yeah, it will take some time until we see some impacts and, and effects there. And quite honestly, over the last two or three years, uh, from many people I speak with the industry, you know, from the public sector, the decision makers, the ones that hold the keys to the treasury, there's a bit of dashboard fatigue. There's almost too many dashboards out there for cities that are being pitched in terms of analyzing either their built environment or, uh, you know, uh, trying to extract value from different data attributes. So, they're getting flooded with a variety of visualizations, which may allow or facilitate decision making. But sometimes, other than not, it's it's a bit more, let's say, uh, cosmetic. So to play devil's advocate here, again, there's a bit of kind of dashboard fatigue on the part of city officials and um, public servants that have been seeing a lot of this over the last three or four years. So that's just an interesting spinoff to that discussion. And uh, there's mm -hmm. no clear answer, but uh, it's something that they're trying to kind of um, sort themselves out with. Um, mm -hmm. So, okay. So the next question I'd like to pose to you is uh, back to specifically micromobility. So um, in terms of kind of the background of this question, because micromobility is going through uh, certainly a um, period of uh, fluctuation and like, let's say, uh, reanalysis right now. So mm -hmm. the background to the question though is um, how can micromobility reinforce its value proposition to urban stakeholders? And really mm -hmm. to use the American term, how can it find its mojo? How can it find its purpose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's in the progress of uh, finding their mojo. So um, I think like uh, it's, it still has the value proposition. And if you look at the net, net effects on like urban mobility, I mean, also after the hype we have seen in the last year, the impacts um, of uh, like uh, like what we have seen in the past is, is still there and has changed like urban mobility. So maybe it's not that we have like uh, large fleets of free floating micromobility e-scooters or bikes all across the city. Maybe it's now more like controlled and, and balanced, um, but we will have like more micromobility and micromobility usage in the cities than that we had before like the, the current wave or the, the last wave of, uh, of startups trying to revolution or to basically um, update everything in, in like high speed which was kind of unrealistic so this is uh, this is i think one of the conclusions there also if uh, they are scaling back and we have the impression that the uh, demand is, is not there and that the operators failed i think the net effect is, uh, is still positive because we have more usage we have more uh, micromobility infrastructure um, and i think that's that's good for like the cities urban areas and also like some of the rural areas here in, in europe and and across the world um yeah yeah 
No, you, you're anything say. to add there? Or? Oh, well, just thoughts. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you read my mind. Um, yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, my thoughts or my personal take on that, and I agree with what you said, is that um, it's going through a period of maturity and it's going yes. through a period of rescaling or let's say retrenchment. It, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's scaling down, um, but it's becoming much more aligned with the physical infrastructure of cities, like you said, um, and it's aligning with... Um, concessioning and procurement mechanisms to ensure that uh, micromobility operators will, um, let's say, deploy multi-year contracts. That's another area I think that um, we're seeing right now going away from this uh, pilot phase, which unfortunately UK is still stuck in the pilot phase, but let's say mainland Europe here, we're getting beyond this pilot phase to now multi-year contracts. That's another signal that the market is maturing. And then another thing I think is just, um, let's say, a uh, rewrite of a lot of policies and legislation around the um, uh, the outcomes and expectations of cities in regulating the built environment and public space of the placement of light electric vehicles and micro mm -hmm. devices. So all of these like four or five indicators are signals that cities are becoming more mature. They're serious about including micromobility as part of their policy and urban planning process, the SUMPs, I love SUMPs, the Sustainable Urban Mobility Plans. And while it might, might not be this mad rush for cash or growth over profit that we saw over the last four years, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's becoming much more nuanced and focused. And I think yes. that's that's the silver lining, at least I see. So Yeah. And also this more uh, focus on partnerships than in collaboration. Uh, so yes. it's uh, mm -hmm. I don't see the approach anymore where like uh, operators coming in very aggressively and say, okay, we know how the um, how, how the the game uh, or how we play the game. Yeah, it's more like uh, collaboration. Yeah, they they adjust yeah. on um, the geofences or business areas on like mm -hmm. also speed limits on where to park the scooters. Cities are also open to allocate uh, like streets parking space for like uh, micro mobility as you see in paris or here also in, in german cities and in the nordics um <clears throat> i think that's also um give some security to to the operators if they can work with the the long uh, multiple year or multi-year contracts if mm -hmm. they have like um a certainty on on the fleet numbers or like fleet size they they could deploy um, I think these are the, that's going then in the right direction. And if you again look in the past of like urban mobility, this is how how it also worked successfully, like uh, the last in the last centuries. Yeah, so there's um, I couldn't remember that uh, anyone uh, or a new service was coming in a city, um, basically ruled the game and then was winning. Yeah, so it, like if you looked in there at, at urban mobility, it always is like partnership between like the operators, private companies and like the cities and uh, i think that's uh, that was a lesson that uh, shared micro mobility operators learned and now they do it together with the cities and i think that's uh, that's the the right direction and that's where we find uh, the mojo again i think a challenge is that uh, regulation side is very fragmented um in europe so we have uh, different 
um, like contract durations. We have different requirements related to data sharing. We have different requirements related KYCs and all your customer um, features built in the app related to parking, user um, education, etc. So I think this would help like everyone uh, in the game if there would be a more like uh, standardization of like uh, requirements for uh, like that cities put in those tenders for micromobility. Um, but definitely we are moving there in the right direction. Totally. Yeah. Harmonization and standardization of requirements across data sharing operation, customer experience, et cetera. And another point that you made that I, I really like as well, too, is how this kind of first wave of micromobility, whether intentional or not, was a bit of gaming the system mm. and uh, working in conflict and spending vast sums of either U.S. dollars or euros in uh, lobbying and litigious activities, legal mm -hmm legal activities. So a lot of the budgets for the micromobility companies were spent on, um, you know, their legal teams. Mm. And a lot of the, you see this kind of contentious, you know, um, worldview that they originally mm. took was they were setting themselves up for battle from day one. Yes. And then as we saw the second and third wave of micromobility um, come in, I would like to say a lot of that kind of started in the Nordics with some of the, the next uh, entrance into the market. I'm not going to name the names, but you know who I'm talking about, took a bit more of, like you said, a more of a city centric and, and partnership based approach. And they tried to make friends of cities. And that yes. was, let's say, circa 2019, just before COVID hit. So and I think that's where the market persists and it's only growing and um, continuing on that on that. Yeah. 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 I think like to the point you mentioned regarding the, the legal actions, et cetera, and activities, I mean, they, they plan it into like kind of their business plans or like business strategy. Mm -hmm. And I think also like investors uh, were aware of that and they were open to to fund it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, if you look sure. at the millions and billions like the shared micromobility operators got, yeah, I mean, uh, like if I would be a founder of the startup, maybe I would have acted in, in the same way. Yeah. So yeah. capital was cheap. I was able to get everything I, I wanted. So let's try to to fight the system. And build um, a big legal team to support and, you. And, <laughs> yeah, better, better big legal and uh, team yeah. and public relations team, etc., to, yes. to support it. Yeah. Right. So it was, it was part of the game and this completely changed now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all of them like... Uh, trying to um, uh, or have problems getting more funding, um, valuations are down. Um, I mean, also they realized, okay, it's way better to collaborate than to fight. Um, so yeah, I think it's, uh, it was a nice try by them and uh, like part of the strategy. Um, but yeah, now the like the story is different. Yeah, it was the wild west there for a few years and now we're yeah. back to reality so good um so the final question for you um kind of i think this is a little closer to uh what you're working on right now as well too which is um around uh, avs and autonomy so um mm -hmm. question is what's the latest in autonomous driving and who are the main industry players and this is just at a, on a global scale mm -hmm. so i mean that's different region by region and um I mean, also what we see, um, so I will come to that in a, in a minute. Um, what we also see is that uh, basically the development and activities are moving away from OEMs to maybe tier ones, tier two companies um, 
that are basically trying now to um, get to like level four uh, autonomy within the next year. So what I mean with that, so we have seen large OEMs, uh, uh, most of them are known and we can, can search for it, basically canceled their uh, autonomous driving projects um, and push now the, or like uh, focus more on ADA system because there's the, the money. And uh, I think they also realized it will take longer than expected to go to, to full autonomy. So to go to full autonomy, this role is, it, is now less with OEMs, I would say. It's more with like uh, T1s around the world in, in Europe and US and, uh, and also in China. And then we might see the same what uh, what we know from the automotive industry that there will be kind of purchasing agreements and collaborations between the OEMs and the tier ones to bring then the technology to the customer. Um, if we now look in, into the regions, I mean, we see the different trends and maturity levels. So um, I would say China, um, they are ahead. Yeah, They have a lot of deployments, also commercial deployments um, across multiple large cities covering the urban areas and uh, consumers, uh, users have access via like uh, Google Maps types of systems and like the right-handing apps. So that's very impressive to see. Um, and there are multiple like stakeholders and players that are dominating the landscape and uh, that have that show like a very fast progress there. The positive or interesting thing also is that uh, they are supported uh, by the Chinese government or um, that they get like support on building the infrastructure that's needed or like uh, support in collecting financing. So this is uh, like making the industry and the trend like very strong. Um, if you looked into um, to the US, I think that's the second strongest market or region if it comes to autonomy. There, we have seen also multiple shifts from like OEMs to then tier ones and tech companies, and also from like ride-hailing, ride-sharing companies to um, uh, like tech-funded uh, companies in, in the autonomous space. Um, so I think, and, and they now focus on also um, maturing their technology, um, also testing it in large scale, like if you look at Phoenix or like in San Francisco or like some other cities there. So they are also moving ahead. Um, I'm a bit skeptic about the progress in Europe. Um, so we don't have like the dominating players on the technology side and on the, um, let's say, con managing the, the consumer demand side. So I think we are lagging there behind. Um, let's see um, if we can um, like catch up um, with some of the latest investments the companies got here or um, if we will be then uh, like yeah, uh, too late in the game and then uh, maybe the market is then also taken by US or Chinese players as soon as they're expanding beyond like, the, the core market. So this is basically then uh, where we are there at the moment. Um, I would say it will take some years um, until we see then like large deployments also here in Europe and um, until we also have then like uh, more scaling in the US, um, but that's like the, the high level perspective here. Yeah, and uh, maybe even a shift from, or at least from what I've also seen from personal autonomy to commercial and freight autonomy as well too. I mean, you know, kind of autonomous, uh, you know, um, let's say uh, tandem uh, truck lorries and yeah. deliveries. What they had test deployments, I think recently or just a few years ago in Netherlands and Denmark. I mean, not to say that Europe is uh, ahead of the game at all on that. And I agree with your statement, but at least this this kind of market sector shift, though, in use cases is yes. another kind of 
you know, uh, transformation that uh, is occurring or delivering quicker wins to the investors and the startups that are involved so that they can at least yeah. show some traction, some market yes. track, which they haven't yeah. in, in some of these earlier testing, let's say pilots. Um, you mentioned some of the ones in Arizona and California and whatnot um, that uh, are, are taking their own course, shall we say, to level yeah. four. Uh, and uh, some of the stakeholders have uh, been a bit more uh, impatient than what was originally promised. So that's another. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I also see the, the, the use case shift uh, as you, as you called it. So now like the, the companies that were promoting like urban mobility or, or autonomous uh, urban mobility, I'm putting more focus now on, let's say, um, like long haul autonomous yeah, trucking haul. because they say it's um, less complex um, mm -hmm. and like less complex environment. And also there's the need for uh, like alternatives to human drivers because like mm -hmm. all the, the, short, the driver shortages um, around the world. So mm -hmm. I think that that's the latest narrative. But again, um, I um, don't see that, uh, that that we have the large deployment. So I think they it's like the, the kind of silver bullet they put on the horizon. Okay, we now go for that um, because it's easier. We will make money there. And yeah. then we will solve the, the urban mobility challenges or problems. Um, but let's see, I mean, how does this plays out? Um, I, will, uh, I would expect that we will still see like very dynamic place of uh, like use case changes, maybe also more consolidation um, or like then uh, players on the market disappearing. So yeah, it's very exciting. Um, I think it will come, um, but it will take a bit of time until we see it there. And also it will, yeah, it's still not decided which use cases we will see first, uh, at least here in Europe and, and the US. Um, I think in China, it's pretty clear. They focus on like urban mobility and people transport there at the moment oh, and, do everything, yeah. Yes, yeah. and do everything to um, su succeed there. Um, we will see that new vehicle types, I would say, moving away from like the re-equipped um, like um, standard cars that we have today to more like shuttle vehicles mm -hmm. and, and purpose-built vehicles for autonomy. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, then, then let's see where it goes from there. Autonomous shared mobility. Yeah. And definitely Asia's out in front in terms of that use case. That's yeah. okay. Um, so then let's just kind of jump ahead. Uh, a couple of other things to capture here. Um, so we're kind of done with the questions, but let's just open it up to um, where can we find you? So let it, let us know and the audience know where we can find you on social media and all channels uh, because you have so much uh, wealth of knowledge that you uh, share uh, across the ecosystem. I'm sure people would love to just uh, kind of maintain contact with you and probably ask you questions. <laughs> yeah. So feel free to reach out to me wherever you find me. So I'm on a, a few conferences in the next couple of months, but the easiest one is to reach out on, on LinkedIn. Um, so just search for my name there. Uh, or maybe Scott, you can uh, put my link or the link to the uh, my profile in the show notes, oh, um, cool. so that that's uh, that's easier to find me. You can also find me on on Twitter. Um, and uh, I mean, maybe you uh, came across some of the blog posts I did for um, some of the partners I, I work with. Um, so yeah, that's wherever you find my details. Feel free to reach out to me. The best one is LinkedIn, and uh, more than open to answer your questions, uh, to work with you. And uh, here to drive forward the uh, mobility transformation together. 
Excellent. Thanks, Augustine. So we have a quick announcement and then we'll just kind of wrap this up here. So um, the city's first uh, podcast is now partnering with uh, Curbivore and Movements uh, newsletters, as well as the Curbivore event. Um, so uh, Curbivore is also helping to promote the city's first podcast. And you can find uh, my company, uh, the company I work for, Drover AI, at the Curbivore event on Friday, March 3rd in Los Angeles, California. So we'll be there in person. And also be sure to check out the Curbivore and Movements newsletters where the City's First podcast will be sharing content in the weeks ahead. And we'll be kind of cross-collaborating on uh, multiple uh, content opportunities. So we just wanted to make sure that everyone is aware of that. Um, but with that, uh, I would like to uh, thank you personally, Augustine, for joining us. This is a real pleasure and a thrill to just kind of do a deep dive on micromobility, cities, robotaxis, AVs, et cetera, and the trends ahead. There's so much to cover. I mean, we could probably spend several more hours, but obviously we have to kind of keep it uh, a bit brief. But um, I'm sure we'll probably have a part two or another a panel discussion at some point in the near future. So this is yes. a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much, Scott. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, yeah, let's uh, do a, like the next uh, episode in a year to see, okay, um, what we uh, what uh, 2023 brought us and uh, what will be the hot topics in, in 2024. So looking forward to that, definitely. We'll definitely revisit that. So thanks, Augustine. And thanks, everyone, for joining the City's First podcast. Uh, we'll uh, join everyone next month. Our next guest is... Uh, Salika Josiah Talbot. We're really excited to have her in mid-March next year. Um, she's in Los Angeles, California. She'll be talking also about autonomy as well as uh, future mobility too. Uh, but you can find us on all um, LinkedIn and social media channels as well. And we'll be sharing the contents of this podcast um, very shortly. So uh, thanks everyone for joining today.